CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. The band is back together tonight, and we do have a big show on deck. Here's what's coming up. It's been a wild few months for the market. As Wall Street hopes for a year-end rally, Dan Nathan says there's one group that could be left in the dust. Plus, athleisure stocks are soaring, but Mike Coe says there's one name that looks a little stretched. He'll give us the trade. And later... Investors are piling into healthcare stocks, and the chartmaster says there's a key group in the space that could see a bigger breakout. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. And we start with the healthcare rally heating up in November. The sector rallying nearly 7% for its best month in more than three years. It is the best performing sector of 2018, up about 15%. And the chart master says there is one group in the space that could see an even bigger breakout. So let's go straight to Carter over the plasma with a checkup on the healthcare charts. Carter. Right. So we know that in principle, defensive assets are acting very well relative to the market. So that is, of course, staples. It is healthcare. It's utilities up big today. But in many ways, in the case for healthcare, it's a big catch-up trade. They having lagged so much over the preceding three years. So let's look at a few charts and then get around to a trade here. Uh, and I want to talk about biotech at the end. So XLV, the ETF for healthcare, and what you have here on the top is the actual um, one-year chart. And you see that XLV, like the market, of course, sold off in October. Everything sold off in October. But what we know is it was an alpha generator. It's actually going straight up in the same time frame, meaning relative to its peer group, the market, healthcare doing very, very well. So its defensive characteristics kicking in in a very bad October, the worst in 10 years. So pull this back a little further. This is the part that's interesting. Now, while we are making new highs and all-time highs, what you see here is that, of course, this was just a massive period of underperformance for healthcare. And what we do know, though, is that we've finally gotten above this downtrend line. So, again, best performer in the year, all in the context, though, something that was very much lagging the equity market since 2015. A few more charts. Uh, now, it's beta within healthcare. Healthcare is very defensive assets like managed care stocks, UNH. It has big, sleepy uh, pharma names that are considered defensive. Biotech, of course, is not. It's cyclicality, if you will, or at least risk. Um, many of them profitless. But look at the relationship between the XLV, the healthcare sector, and the IBB over the past year plus. And what we know is that either this is a trap or it's a catch-up uh, trade, and I'm going to make the bet that it's a catch-up trade. So this divergence, I think, is an opportunity. You can see very clearly uh, the percentage change. Let's move it back a little further. Here is a five-year comparative chart, and again, it's the same setup. So what we know is, of course, biotech overshoots. We know that it undershoots, and the bet is that having undershot again, that it can play catch-up with the overall sector. So... A few charts on IBB and we're done. No annotations or drawings by me. Here comes some annotations and drawings. Next chart. Look at this. Over and over and over, it has literally held the 100 level. I mean, 
precisely, reliably, consistently, week after week after week. Draw the lines another way. We found this well-defined level. We ricocheted nicely off that, and I think we're going to continue. Um, it's a beta trade within healthcare. IBB on the long side, here and now. All right. So, Mike, how are you trading biotech? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons it keeps bouncing off that 100 level is that one of the rationales in the space in general has been the valuations of the underlying businesses, Amgen, Gilead, Biogen, these Celgene. These are companies that are trading at relatively cheap multiples. You know, and in an environment like that, I kind of feel like that serves as a little bit of a backstop. This is a basket of stocks. The options aren't overly expensive, especially given how volatile this has been and some other stocks have been recently. So I think we keep this trade pretty simple. I'm just looking out to January and looking at the 108 and 33 cent strike calls. Okay, that seems a little bit strange, right? But that's only because sometimes you get these strike adjustments. This is just a standard contract like any other that happens to be the nearest out of the money strike. Those are going to cost you $4. So you're risking approximately 4% of the underlying price here to make a bullish bet. And look, I mean, one of the things that can happen here is that you have some time until January expiration. Obviously, if it does run, we're going to have some opportunities to either roll this or potentially spread it. So there are some things you can do here. But I think that's a very simple way that we can make a bullish bet here. The valuations are more attractive. They got a, a lot of cash on their balance sheets still. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. The, the trade that Mike's choosing is just doing an outright call. And he's going into a period where we may have some volatility for the next couple of weeks. But then after that, we may see a slowdown between Christmas, New Year's, that sort of thing. So I think what Mike's really trying to do here is if you were to see this stock kind of go further in the money here um, with this strike option, you would look to maybe sell something um, out of the money, turn it into a vertical spread, and then kind of lower your, your break-even level or your premium at risk. Um, I like the idea of spending about 2.5% of the underlying, or, or, or what do we got, like 3% or so, um, because if you think about it, if you're wrong on this one, it's going right back to 100 Right. So you're basically your upside downside is you're risking, you know, four in the long premium, but you will be back at 102 if 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 uh, things go south in the next couple of weeks. Sure. But I think that's the importance that you know where you stand if it's going to yeah. be wrong. Right. There's so much authority to that level that it would be very hard for it to really punch through to the downside. Yeah. And this call isn't you know, if that happened in the short term, this call isn't going to be worthless in that instance. Yeah. You know, it's going to be considerably less than the four bucks it cost when I was looking at this earlier today. And this is slightly in the money as of today's closing price. But, I mean, that's basically the idea. With 100 being a $9 drop from the current uh, closing price, obviously you get an opportunity to risk a little bit less here, and this isn't going to decay away right away. All right, let's move on to the banks here. Seeing a bit of a wild month, the XLF financial ETF rallying 4%. But when you dig into the group, it's really a case of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Names like Bank of America and J.P. Morgan in the good category, both up more than 2%. Morgan Stanley and Citi looking a little bad. And then there's all out ugly, like Goldman Sachs down 15%. Now, Dan says there is one name on this list that is about to go from bad to worse. What are you looking at, Dan? Yeah, so I think the really scary thing about that graphic right there is the ugly is really just downright ugly. And it has the potential. We're not even throwing GE in there yet. Like, when you're looking at the acceleration to the downside of some of these, um, you know, these just household names that we all know and a lot of people own, and you definitely own them in your mutual funds, in your 401ks, um, the acceleration at this time of year in those names is kind of making me a little bit nervous here for for the financial stocks. Obviously, they caught a bid this week with um, the, the, the news out of the Fed. 
Uh, we know that there's another Fed made, uh, meeting on uh, December 19th. And to me, I think you have a situation where some of this initial enthusiasm could wear off over the next couple of weeks, especially if there's nothing really big on the trade front. And I think bank stocks probably close near the lows of the year. The underperformance, I'll let Carter talk to it, has been downright horrendous. And I think you want to pick on some of the losers, not pressing like a Goldman Sachs um, or a Deutsche Bank. But if we were to have any more headlines out of names like those, I think you're going to see those bad move into the ugly category. Citibank is the one I want to focus on here. It's obviously, you know, they got this buyback and people are focused on that. They're focused on valuation. But the thing just acts downright horrible. It's down about 20 percent from its 52-week highs made in the Q1. Look at that chart right there. I mean, 60 bucks where it just bounced off of seems like a really important level. If it goes through that in early 2019, you're going to have a stock probably in the low 50s. That's my guess. We have a five-year chart. I just want to take a look at this. You know, what's important to me, look at how it's come back to that prior breakout level from 2017. This is a group that was supposed to benefit from deregulation, from fiscal stimulus, from all this stuff about a global synchronized recovery, and they're not doing it. They're telling you something about how uh, I think how the economy is going to be in 2019. So listen, this is a simple trade. Look to December expiration. That's going to catch that next Fed meeting. Um, I think you just focus on Citigroup. You focus on a move back to 60 over the next three weeks when the stock was trading today um, at 64.75. You could buy the December 64.60 put spread for a dollar that breaks even at 63 bucks. You could make up to three between 63 and $60. $1 is your max risk between 63 and 64, and you lose that dollar um, above 64. Listen, you're risking one and a half percent of the underlying stock price to make a move that the stock's going to go back in the next three weeks to a level it was trading three weeks ago. You know, normally when you take a look at financials, one of the metrics we sometimes think about is the price to tangible book value. When they get to one or thereabouts, or certainly if it's under the way Citigroup would appear to be right now, that's typically some place that you want to buy. But I think what we're seeing in the price action of this stock is a real warning sign that maybe the book value isn't all that you think that it is. I think financials have been trading this way. And whenever we hear concerns about, you know, potentially the end of this credit cycle, that's the thing you have to look at. This is not just a dollar bill that's sitting there that you can go and pick up. The value of that thing is what's potentially at risk, and that's what the price action is telling us right now. So I do think this is definitely the structure to put on, and I can understand why you would do that. Right. I mean, look, we know that it's not as big as tech, but it's the most important sector. It's the lifeblood of the system. And almost without exception, American Express being maybe one, the group doesn't act well. It's not just money center banks, right? Of course, it's regional banks. It's asset managers. It's, uh, it's broker dealers. It's insurance stocks. And we're just crossed back below 3%. You've referred to that. This is not a place to be. It never has been. It had six weeks of alpha after the presidential election. And basically, it's been an underperformer for the past two years, even as it's been embraced uh, by the street. And Citibank, is one of the weaker ones. And so it's yeah. the right one to go after, especially as a short. And, and I'm just going to say this. I think a lot of people are being really lazy about this. A lot of financial market commentators, a lot of analysts, and even some investors, like they're looking at GE, they're looking at uh, Goldman Sachs, they're looking at Deutsche Bank, and they're saying this is idiosyncratic to these names. And you know what? I go back and I think about 2007, there was a lot of things that were idiosyncratic to certain names. And once they all start happening together, things start to snowball a little bit. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I just think there's definite potential for that in 2007. All right. For everything Options Action, you can check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Dan says it's all the rage. So what are you waiting for? Here's what's coming up. Investors are loving the athleisure stocks this year. But Mike Coe says there's one name that's looking a little worn out. He'll give us the trade. 
Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Retail ending November with another loss, its third straight month in the red after seeing a huge rally earlier in the year. Around Dom Chu's in the newsroom with more. Hey, Dom. Well, there have been two fairly distinct chapters in the consumer story through the course of 2018, Melissa. In a little over the first half of this year, the strength of the consumer and rising consumer sentiment has really played out in many parts of that retail landscape. You just have to look at the year-to-date chart of the Spider Retail ETF, that ticker XRT, an equally weighted fund that de-emphasizes the effects of massive companies like Amazon.com. Now, through the latter part of the summer, it was a nice gradual rise, and in the last three months, a topping out that then got embroiled in that market turmoil in October. A notable lagging part of that retail has been on the luxury side of things. Tiffany is a recent example after shares tanked on the heels of its earnings report earlier this week. Those shares topped out late summer, just like Michael Kors did. Also check out Coach. Kate Spade and Stuart Weitzman parent company, Tapestry, those shares topped out as well. The story has been a little bit more mixed with athletic apparel, where Under Armour has been trending higher for the better part of the year, albeit off to press levels. Nike and Lululemon have seen some of that optimism fade as markets have pulled back some, but we're still talking about Nike up around 20% year-to-date. Under Armour, up 65% year-to-date. And Lulu, up around 69 to 70% year-to-date. Now, a key will be Lulu's earnings report on Wednesday after the closing bell. Options markets are already looking for possible fireworks with prices implying a possible 11% move in those shares up or down on the heels of the report. Melissa, it may be one of those big T leaves in determining the next leg for that athleisure trade. Back over to you guys. All right, Dom, thanks. Have a great weekend. And well, Dom just mentioned Lululemon does report earnings next week. That stock's up around 70% this year. So how should you play it? Let's kick it over to our resident yoga expert Mike Coe for his call to action. Mike. I don't think they're going to see me in yoga studios too often. I don't think my physique is up for that. But I will say that I am interested maybe in fading that whole play general here a little bit. We're looking at a one by two put spread in Lulu going into earnings. Why am I looking at this? Well, first of all, as Dom just discussed, Options are expensive. It's actually implying slightly over an 11% move. That's greater than average. Whenever we see that implied move higher than it usually is, that suggests that options are more expensive, even going into the catalyst than they normally are. The other thing I'm looking at here is this a name that I might be willing to get long at a lower price, although it might have to be a considerably <coughs> lower price, given the rally that the stock has had since the beginning of the year. And finally, I have a proprietary metric called the Holly index or holly indicator basically i take a look at my credit card statements and if i see a store on there uh then i'm basically am assuming that it's still in favor and if i don't and for the first quarter in years i actually didn't have any lululemon charges on our american express bill i get a little bit concerned so let's take a look at lululemon here we can see that it's up substantially on the year down a little bit from its highs let's think a little bit about how much the stock typically moves on earnings when it makes a move to the downside, that move is usually fairly pronounced, about 11.5% on average. 
The worst one was during the credit crisis. That was a decline of about 30%, and the second worst was about 23%. So let's keep those levels in mind as we take a look at the trade. I'm looking at a one-week trade here, the December 7th weekly, 130, 115, one by two put spread. What am I doing here? I'm buying one of the 130 puts, spending $6.50, selling two of the 115 puts for $1.65 each. I'm taking in $3.30. Net-net, I'm spending $3.20 a share. Now here's the goal here. If it declines down to 115, that's where I'm gonna see the most possible <coughs> profits. At that point, I'm long the stock. And so my profits will trail off as the stock declines. And my downside break even is gonna be right around 103.20. That would represent a 20 approximately percent decline from where the stock was currently trading at the end of business today. So this is a way that you can take advantage of the elevated options premiums, make a bearish bet that'll profit on say an 11.5% decline if we see that um, and not risk a great deal uh, in terms of premium if we don't. Dan, what do you think of this trade? So interestingly, for the one by two, and Mike just said, worst case, you get long here. That's not the point of the trade, right? The point of the trade by selling two of those downside puts is reduce your premium at risk. And so what I like about it is that he's doing it as a one-week trade. The probability of that stock being down at that 103 level, right? Well, worst case scenario, Mike, where you are long and you have losses and all that sort of, is very slim, especially over the course of this one week. Um, but to me, what's really interesting, and Carter can maybe speak to it, that 103 level would be filling in that gap from June, and it's had a couple really big gaps on earnings over the last year. That's yeah. right. I mean, that, that is actually, I think, the, the most important part about this chart. You have a great ascent, right, a triple, basically 50 to 165. And in that ascent over the past year, you've had three quarterly beats. It is very hard. You can look at statistics of this. You typically get two or three. It's very hard to get a fourth beat because, obviously, analysts move their numbers up. And at some point, even if it's a good quarter, it's not good enough to beat the newly revised or continually revised uh, price target. So the risk is to the downside. After a great ascent, after a big uh, sell-off, 28% from its peak on October 1st, and then now it's kicked back of late, back to uh, sort of a declining trend line. There's much more downside risk, uh, everything that I see, than upside potential. Much more downside sure. risk. What's the, what's the downside level that you would look for? Well, you can fill all three of those gaps if you really want to get uh, <laughs> excited, and, and, and Dan referred to that. But I mean, you know, we, we can, we've seen what can happen to certain reasons, or Tiffany being yeah. an instance this week, you can have an easy 10, 15% drop post a bad quarterly number. Oh. Mike, last Well, I, you know, what Carter's saying is valuable intelligence, too. So if you're sitting at home thinking, I do want to make this bearish bet, but I'm uncomfortable getting along the stock down at that 103, you could also just consider selling only one of those. That obviously would eliminate the possibility of losing any money at all or getting long the stock at all if the stock did decline that much. But again, those types of declines in this stock have been very, very rare. 30%, 20%, that's about the most we've seen to the downside so far on earnings. Doesn't mean it couldn't be worse, but that's the worst we've seen so far. All right, still ahead, Caterpillar, one of the best performing Dow stocks this week, up a whopping 11%, but is it nothing more than a dead cat bounce? We will explain. Plus, got a question for the traders? Yeah, you do. Send us a tweet at Options Action. If it's nice, we will read it later in the show. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Options Action right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Earlier this month, Mike and Carter said shares of Caterpillar were heading for a breakdown. My hunch is that after this ricochet, Cat fails. Could they bounce another day or two? Sure. But this is a point at which I would take the money and run. The December 130, 135 call spread. And at the time I was looking at this, you could collect about $1.65, which is approximately one-third of the distance between the strikes. Since the time of the trade, the stock has rallied, then sold off, then rallied again to right around your break-even, Mike. So what are you doing? Well, I will say this. If you haven't taken this trade off yet, I think you stick with this because I think there could be further weakness, and I'd rather be long the 135, 130 put spread right now than short it, and that's effectively what you're in. Carter? That's right. The initial sell-off is the primary thing. This recovery is secondary. All right. Also, earlier this month, Dan said cloud stock Adobe was looking a little gray. Look at it sitting here on 235. It's down about 15%. It is in correction territory. This is an expensive stock, just like NVIDIA. It trades about 10 times its sales and about 30 times its expected earnings. I see some kind of gap down to 200. You could buy the December 235, 200 put spread, paying $8 for that. Buying one of the 235 puts for 10 bucks, selling one of the 200 puts at $2. Well, the stock initially tanked around 13% in the days following the trade, but has since rallied back. So what do you do, Dan? Yeah, so it's not only rallied back, but it's well above, it's $10 above the level. It was about 240 when we detailed that trade on November 17th, and it went quickly down to 207. That put spread at one point was worth about 22, 23 bucks, originally paid $8 for it. When you have a move that quickly um, to basically your strikes to the downside, you kind of have to take it. Now, the trade was initially targeting earnings, which are going to come in a couple weeks. At this point, it's worth about $3.50. It originally cost $8. You got to be very careful here because just a little further, and this thing's going to be worthless even before you get to the event. All right, up next, final call. Time for the final call. Carter Braxworth. IBB, biotech on the long side for a catch up trade with the healthcare sector. Michael Coe. Yeah, I think you should just buy calls in IBB in January. And by the way, you don't have to wait until expiration. You can roll or spread those trades when you put them on. Dan Nathan. Yeah, you can do all those things, Mike. Um, mm. You know, the bank stocks, I just, listen, everybody wants to defend them. I just don't see any reason to own them. And I think you keep selling rallies here. And Citibank's the one in the very near term, I think, makes sense to get short. All right, looks like our time has expired for more Options Action. Catch us back here next Friday at 5.30. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.